I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Forward. Planet Forward has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales, and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Forward in spring or online at planetforward.com. You're listening to Crime Scene Today. We talk about current and future issues facing law enforcement, forensics, and crime scene investigations with subject matter experts from law enforcement perspective. I'm your host, Dan Zintek. Joining me today for the show is Police Commander Vinny Montez. Vinny Montez from Colorado. Uh, Vinny's been in law enforcement 20 years, and to deal with stress of law enforcement, he started doing stand-up comedy. So, Vinny, thank you so much for uh, joining us today and coming to speak to us. And hey, have me on the show. Uh, one thing I, I really wasn't expecting when I first called you, I just thought it was very neat that uh, you were getting into comedy. And I just, I'm a big fan of stand up comedy and just a, a cop that's out there doing that. And, I, and we're going to get into that talk about. But in talking with you, what I found is that uh, you just went viral this week. Uh, from from a from a message that you put out, and I listened to your message. Uh, and for for those that haven't, we're going to play that in a second. Um, but I can tell from watching it certainly a passion and compassion that you have, and and uh, speaking about it. And more importantly, I can tell just from being in law enforcement for many years, you are very careful and decisive in the words that you used uh, to explain what you were trying to talk about. So for those that haven't heard that, uh, take a listen. To those of you who don't know me, I'm Vinny Montez, a third-generation Mexican-American born in Boulder, Colorado. I have been serving my community in law enforcement both as a volunteer and as a commissioned peace officer since I was 14 years old. I'm proud to be a commander in patrol for the Boulder County Sheriff's Office. I love my community that I serve, and I would never want to serve anywhere else. My mother and father had no real education. They cleaned houses, businesses, and other facilities to help raise a son who knew what it was like to earn an honest dollar and work hard for what you get in life. I was taught to care for others and give back to my community. I was taught how important it is to be inclusive, creative, and show love for everyone. I believe all people are equal and there should be no discrimination based upon race, color, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or gender. I've spent the last 22 years as a peace officer. I love where I work, but I believe that you must speak up and speak out if you believe injustice exists. For the first time in my life, I'm deeply hurt because I have concluded that many in America don't think much about law enforcement. It's either that or they don't understand what we do behind the scenes in the dark hours of the night. When citizens are at home, asleep, or off on holidays, law enforcement is protecting them responding to calls for service. We are doing our best to protect people from the evil that exists in this world. I have waited for several days to write this message, but I'm still terribly disturbed by the hatred and criticism leveled indiscriminately upon the law enforcement profession in recent weeks. During my tenure with the Sheriff's Office, I've readily seen any messaging in the media or elsewhere recognizing the good that is going on in law enforcement. There's no acknowledgement about the personal struggles that officers go through, only the sensationalizing of the events they're involved in. There is rarely an acknowledgement that a total of 1,627 law enforcement officers died in the line of duty in the past 10 years. 
an average of one death every 54 hours, 163 per year. Last year, in 2019, 135 law enforcement officers were killed. There's no acknowledgement that the average life expectancy of a police officer is less, that, less than that of the general population, or the sad fact that more officers die by suicide than are killed in the line of duty. Suicide is now the leading cause of death for police officers. Some of my friends, including one that I personally trained, have taken their own lives as a result of the work-related issues and stress. I want to ask those who don't know me, do you have any idea how hard it is for the men and women serving our communities to serve in this profession today? Do you have any idea what it's like to show up on a scene where a mother has cut down their 16-year-old child who has hanged himself in the garage? Do you know what it's like to say, I'm sorry for your loss? and not be able to get the sound of the family members agonizing screams out of your mind? Do you know what it's like to give CPR to a 17-year-old kid, to be covered in blood, to do everything you can to save his life, but then have him die anyway? Do you know what it's like to live with the guilt, wondering if there was anything else you could have done? Do you know what it's like to watch a young man lose their father in front of you, to almost witness a fight between that young man and the paramedics because nothing more could be done. Do you know what it's like to hold that young man and say you're sorry for his loss, only to feel like it was just words with no impact? Do you know what it's like to listen to a suspect tell you how he sexually violated a young child? Do you know what it's like to show up on an accident scene with multiple fatalities and others who are critically injured? Do you know what it's like to step over a body like a sack of potatoes because there is nothing you can do while maintaining your composure and helping those that can still be saved? Do you know what it's like to have one spit in your face? Do you know what it's like to have someone tell you they hope your family members die? Do you know what it's like to be punched in the face repeatedly while you're at work? Do you know what it's like to damage you, damage or lose your relationships because you work holidays, overtime, different shifts, and miss family events? Do you know what it's like to try and forget about what you've seen, smelled, tasted, felt, heard, and touched? Well, I do. I've experienced every single one of those things and more. I don't want medals and I don't want your sympathy. What I do want is for our citizens and our community leaders to recognize the men and women who I serve with and the things we've sacrificed to protect our communities. And maybe give us a little credit for undertaking an incredibly complex and challenging job. Please don't judge us for the misconduct of a few rogue officers. Believe me when I say we don't want them in our profession either. They need to be held accountable as any criminals should be, but they are the exceptions. I ask you, get to know the men and women who make up your local law enforcement agency before condemning us based on the actions of a few. So Vinny, that's some uh, powerful words. I know that um, you took time to write those. And I know as I was listening to it, I've been doing law enforcement now for 29 years. And as you went through and you make comments of, have you ever experienced this you ever experienced that and uh, there's not one that you didn't touch on that that certainly I've done myself in my career and I think uh, even though that's that's your career those are things you experience I think you're speaking uh, very much to any law enforcement out there anybody who's been uh, in the business for a 
extended period of time that's wore the badge that th those are things that all of us experience and they tell you in the academy that you know you're you're going to see things that no one sees right and you're going to experience things that the general public is not supposed to see right that's about the only advice or instructions they give you they don't really tell you what you're about to experience yeah there's not a lot of preparation for it absolutely you know i think um I think one that always sticks with me and I always uh, tell people about when I'm training detectives and stuff, uh, one of the hardest things in working homicide, it was never uh, seeing the scenes. It was never seeing um, the, the bodies and things that we dealt with. I, I nearly felt like that was, that was part of the training and things that you dealt with. It was the family. When you had to give that notification, when you had that emotional connection uh, with that family and, and being the moment that they found their loved one was deceased and being there to support them, uh, knowing there, there's nothing, nothing that you're going to say is yeah. going to make that situation better. And at the end of it, once you've given the most horrible news that will last the rest of their life, you have to interview them and you have to get information about the family, where were they at last and those type of things. Right. So, I mean, you covered so many things. So obviously the current environment that's out there, I'm sure played a factor, but what, uh, what, I guess, led you to write this and to put that, that out there uh, for people? Well, I think, you know, what's going on around the country right now, you know, Minneapolis certainly was a tragedy, and nobody who's done this job for any period of time would condone that. Um, but I just don't want to lose, I, I don't want America to lose sight of the men and women who are still doing it right, and that's a majority, like, you know, 90 plus percent, 95, 98 plus percent of the men and women who get up every day to still go to work and try to do their very best to uphold the oath they took and to be impartial and to do what's right. They're still coming to work every day. But with everything being portrayed in the media at times and a lot of the younger officers coming into the profession without a lot of experience to kind of um, have something to draw upon to be like, well, this is bad now, but it's going to get better. They don't have a lot of that. And, and with all the negativity and you see officers getting hurt and shot uh, and all that stuff, there's just certainly a concern for not only the officers who are doing the job, but also their family members, spouses, kids. And I think in, in my role as a commander um, where I work, that's the thing where I think we're being impacted the most is where family members have always had the worry of their loved one being in law enforcement for just the very reason of being in law enforcement. But now in the current environment with there's so much rhetoric about, you know, all cops are bad and things like that. It's certainly a different um, thing where kids are waking up to seeing this and now their loved one's supposed to go to work and do the job. So my whole point of that is I just want to remind everybody that there are people that are doing this job and they're doing it very nobly and they're still getting up and do it. But I don't want to lose those professionals who end up leaving this profession because truly what makes us good at what we do is having those veteran law enforcement officers in order to teach the next generation who's coming in. A lot of that stuff, you know, that you learn in the academy it's valuable, but that firsthand knowledge of how to deal with things and how to really investigate and be a really efficient cop is learned by some of those trial and error um, situations that occur. And it seems like today where 
people are having to be perfect. Like you can't step out of line. But I'll tell you right now, over the course of 22 plus years of actually being a cop, I have screwed up more times in my career than I care to care to admit. But that is part of what's developed me into a professional and abilities to actually deal with situations because of those experiences I draw upon, which were failures. And uh, so really that's kind of what rooted me into authoring this essay that was called um, To Those Who Don't Know Me. And then I asked our my uh, elected official where I work, the sheriff, if I could uh, put this out on video. Uh, he obviously read it and then I delivered it. And um, I couldn't, I was just completely amazed and taken aback by how uh, viral it went. But I'm very glad that it did. Well, you know, I think that in speaking with just about any officer, and we've we've talked about even on the show as far as a majority of police out there, as you said in the video, are good people that signed up to serve their community, and that's what they're doing every single day. As uh, with, I would say, any profession out there, you know, you have some bad representatives of profession. And as you even said in your video, we don't want them any more than, than the uh, public wants them. And I think the shock value to most police that are out there when we have them making derogatory comments as a whole, when we say the police this, the police that, or whatever, is inside looking out, we don't see that. We see a majority of our coworkers, a majority of everybody we work with on a daily basis uh, doing exactly what you described and putting themselves out there uh, emotionally, physically, to serve their community on a regular basis. And uh, I think that your words hit on that. And I think also there are so many community members out there that feel that way also. And they're not part of the, I guess, the, the strongest voice that's screaming at the moment. Uh, so to hear that, I think uh, just help them to voice that. And I think that's one reason it's viewed so many times, it's shared so many times. Uh, I think that it it is a, a huge statement that many people were wanting to say. And I completely agree with you. I I think there's a lot of people that very much support us and that what we see across the country isn't always representative of what of those people who are supportive of law enforcement and the people that are doing what's right. I just I, I just worry that so much negative negativity was coming out. I didn't want our young officers to lose sight of the fact that they're what we're doing is truly what needs to be done. Because at the end of the day, once all the once all the protesting is done, and you know people the looting has stopped and things have calmed down, and hopefully we've made some positive changes, there's still calls that need to be answered. You know, there's still people that are going to stop breathing. Kids are going to choke on something. Grandparents are going to fall down the stairs people who are going to be victims of domestic violence, uh, sexual assaults, and all the other things, the heinous crimes, the homicide and all that, that's still going to go on. And there still has to be people to answer that call. And I know if I was not currently in this profession, but have retired, let's say if I had retired, I'd still want those people to be available in order to do that. And I think right now, before this even happened, before COVID and before um, George Floyd, there was still already a shortage in law enforcement. I can't speak for Texas as much as I can Colorado, but it's hard to find people right now that really want to do this job. Oh, it's, I, it's nationwide, nationwide. Yeah. Right, and that has been even 
I think right now with everything that's going on, that is just being uh, exacerbated. And so I think we have to be really cognizant of that as uh, leaders in our organization, but also not just our organization, nationwide like you're talking. And if we're not careful about that, we're not making sure that we really value the members of our organizations to show that they're important and also to share them with them the positivity that exists out there from a lot of the citizens, uh, we're not going to do ourselves a service. And I just don't want to lose those experienced people because the one thing that you can't replace is years of service with lots of experiences, good and bad, to make an officer what they end up being uh, mid-career, six, seven years on with a lot of experience under their belt. Well, and, you know, you hit on, and we've talked about recruiting problems. Like I said, we are having recruiting problems way before, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, some people blame it on generation. Some people just, it's uh, different, different things that it's looked at more as a job. And you can get a job doing something else, making the same, and usually more money than a cop. Uh, and so certainly in a profession in, where in the news you hear of officers getting killed because they're an officer, not because they're in a fight. I mean, we, we pretty much accept, you know, right or wrong, you accept going in. You may go to that bad family disturbance. You may go to that robbery. You may go to something that's a dangerous situation and end up losing your life. And you, you know that going in. Yes. Um, but I don't, at least I know when I went in in 91, uh, it never crossed my mind that I would lose my life just because I was sitting in the car eating a hamburger just because I was in a cop car and and a cop. So, you know, and we've talked about what's the solution and it seems to come back. Anybody I've talked to, it always comes back to uh, that community relation and having that relationship with your community. And I know that uh, speaking of uh, you're part of an organization that I believe uh, sort of does that. And um, called uh, Humanize the Badge. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Humanize the Badge. We call it HTV for short, yes. Okay, so tell me tell me how that sort of, I guess, works in, in the community. And I mean, what's obviously, I mean, just by the name, I, I can imagine what it means. And that's that, you know, there's, there's a person behind that badge. There's a family, there's a right. father, there's a, you know, so. Yeah. So, um, well, thanks for acknowledging HTV to begin with. When I got into law enforcement, I had no idea that my career track was going to go through so many different things. And then I didn't know that I was going to initially suffer. I, I had no idea I was going to suffer from mental health issues, which then led me to comedy, which then led me to eventually becoming part of Humanized the Badge. So um, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with an individual by the name of uh, Officer Daniels, who uh, is one of the board members for HTB. HTB was started. Um, several years ago and some of the people that sit on that board uh, including uh, David Edwards who's not in that photograph that I see there he's off to the left a little bit but um, his son was killed in the line of duty and there was a lot of people that are part of this organization that just wanted to show the human side of law enforcement that no matter the shell of the badge the gun the vest that everybody wears around the country there's an individual human that's different than anybody else so Humanize the Badge, I was like, wow, they're doing some really good things. I'd like to be a part of that. So I sent an email to Officer Daniels. The next thing you know, he shows up at one of my comedy shows. It kind of caught me off guard. Friendship began, and then slowly over a period of time, they were kind of vetting me, and they actually extended an offer to become part of the group in 2018. 
So with Humanize the Badge, um, I've been on Project Human, which is where they travel, uh, some of the group, we travel to different things that are going on. Like I know they went down after the hurricanes in Texas, uh, I think that was Houston and the floods and all that stuff. And I got to be part of a couple outreach projects, one in Phoenix and one in Las Vegas. And the one in Las Vegas, we went out, we supported the officers. Um, they had a, a group of uh, the spouses for the officers shortly after the Mandalay Bay incident. And we did some support with them. We showed up and did some PR work, but then we also went into the correctional facilities for the juveniles there in Clark County. And we met with them one-on-one -on -one representing law enforcement and just having open discussions with the kids that were in those uh, facilities. And it was amazing to see the number of gun charges these kids had, uh, their interaction with us at the beginning versus at the end. Uh, AJ Johnson, he's folk, he's a uh, folk, He's uh, in this photograph that you have up. He's the tall kid in the back. He is a Columbus, Ohio police officer. Um, he goes by the handle of, oh, no, it's the Popo uh, or Dancing Cop. And so he's doing a lot of great things in the community, really out there in uniform. And the, the, the agency, although not initially, has really embraced him doing that PR work. And him and I had the opportunity to speak with one of the pods of kids in Vegas. And from when we walked in the door to when we walked out, uh, we really, I think, changed a lot of perceptions and humanize that badge for lack of better words with those kids and you know it doesn't seem like it's much but it has to start somewhere with those conversations just like we're having right now uh, in this interview and to me that fills my heart because I I just know what it's like to be behind the badge and see um, what goes on behind the scenes and you know I don't think that's meant for the general public to see that's something that, you know, we try to protect the public from having to see so they can live normal lives and, uh, you know, be carefree, for lack of better words. Yeah, it, uh, it to a point, but they've, they've sort of, with the uh, body cams and all the other things, and, and let's just say, I mean, when, when you go to TV, uh, I mean, maybe not as much anymore. They, they uh, canceled a few shows, but as far as when you look at the list, I mean, 80% of the shows are fictitious shows, many of them, but it's about what we do, right? It's uh, either criminal investigations or homicide or, or police work. Where, and the public is fascinated by what we do. And that's great, but again, that's not reality of what we right. do. And, and that's where, you know, we, we fight in court. We call it the CSI effect of right. uh, sol solving, a, solving a crime in, in five minutes or 45 minutes and uh, how you can swab the DNA and it will give you the GPS location of the person two blocks away. Yeah. So none of that's there yet. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's coming. But uh, so, yeah, it's it's that balance. But I, I think you're certainly on the right track. That, and, you know, that's just in, in dealing with any type of relationship um, you know, the, the old saying, it, it's hard to hate up close, right? When you actually know the person, when it's not, you know, and, and I sort of put it to like road rage, right? When it's a car cutting you off, okay, then you're yelling, screaming, you're all upset, right? When the person gets out, when it's a person to person type of thing, when they get out because their face is bloody and they're rushing the hospital and now it's, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not as upset anymore. It's a person. It's a personal, you know, so uh, it's all about that relationship. And, and I think that that, that plays a big factor. You know, um, you know, you talk about 
the stress on the job and, and we're going to get into the stand-up but you know this is the first time and, and we've talked about it on my show before i had wanted to reach out because i had questions come up about colorado and you yeah. have yeah, and you have spent your years in colorado that's where your law enforcement right. careers yeah. have been and uh so a couple of things that i want to talk about because again i like it from a law enforcement perspective from someone who's actually doing it out there in the course of your career when you started marijuana was not legal in Colorado and right. through the course of your career it's become uh, recreational has been legalized and everything else yeah. uh, so uh, I guess generalizations that are made and I'm curious to what you've actually seen on the streets um, has there been an increase in homelessness people coming to Colorado because the laws have changed there I would say yes I think our homeless population is um, more substantial from the from the street view that I've seen. Um, you know, we have people flying signs on a lot of the corners where we didn't used to, even in the unincorporated areas of the county where I work. Uh, and I would say that uh, we do have quite a bit. I also think there's a slight factor where I work where there is a lot of outreach programs that are available where people that are homeless can you know get equipment like to live in like sleeping bags and sure so that's um like salt lake city which is certainly not legalized but they have a extreme homeless population because of the uh the mormon church and the many different uh avenues that they offer to the homeless right so yeah. so yeah. there's a, there's an increase for services that are provided by the city too um in an article uh, actually, just uh, 622 of this uh, month, Associated Press had talked about a study uh, that they were speaking about traffic death increases uh, because of the use of recreational marijuana. So have you seen an increase in accidents caused uh, by the introduction, or is it the same as before uh, in trade for alcohol or, or otherwise? You know, I, I wouldn't say that... I've heard some of the statistics that it's higher for marijuana-related um, crashes or DUI investigations, DUID, right. driving influence of drugs. Although, to be quite frank, as we, as a sheriff's office where I work, there is little that we deal with with actual traffic investigation because that's done by the state patrol for us in okay. all sheriff's offices in Colorado. Um, unless we have a municipality, which we have two small towns that we contract law enforcement for, but I really couldn't speak intelligently about that. So as far as, um, has it stopped, I guess, as much illegal marijuana, the no. cells and those type of things? Absolutely not. I don't think we're going to see the end of that until it's either legalized around the country because... In Colorado, I think the black market, is, people thought, well, it's going to go away, but it hasn't because with the amount of marijuana, as prolific as it is, it's hard to stop the black market. So we have a lot of people, and unfortunately, I've even worked a homicide case related to this where it was, we call it black market dope that's being grown inside of houses or slipped out of dispensaries and um, sold on the black market out of state for a high dollar value. And so, um, yeah, I've worked a bunch of stuff related to that. Uh, before I came back out to the street, I was uh, supervising our narcotics unit. And during my early years when I was a detective, I was in the same unit as a detective. I went back as a supervisor. So 
yeah, we were dealing with a lot more um, issues related to the black market. It, it definitely didn't go away. So as far as, um, you know, the, the other, I guess, positive thing that many people try to promote on it is the increase in tax revenue or increase in money to the state and receiving that. Uh, do you believe there's been, I guess, benefit, whether I mean, maybe not directly to the police department, but have you seen that money being used for what they talk about? It's usually they say education or different things like that. Or is the increase in the problems, I guess you would say, that money having to address those? Well, I think the money is being used for legitimate reasons, but there's the consequences that were unintended that are a result of more people coming to the state where <clears throat> before, you know, marijuana was illegal and people, you know, they would get in trouble for it. You get arrested for uh, cultivation or, you know, distribution. And those crimes have significantly been less charged and DA is more reluctant to pursue them because of the overall proliferation of marijuana. Two, everybody came into the state, so like housing prices just exploded, um, rental space exploded. There's a lot of unintended consequences, but I do believe the money is being used for legitimate purposes throughout the state. It's just there were these other unintended consequences. The economy has been wonderful. Um, the only thing I, I worry about is a lot of people have come to the state where versus if it was legalized nationally, then they might have stayed where they were at and not set up shop in the black market and so forth. That's that's my personal perspective on what I've seen. I guess one of the problems that we always relate to drugs is is your burglaries, your robberies. You need money for the drugs, right? right. Whether they're legal or not, if you can go and buy them at the dispensary, you still need the money for them. Has there been an increase in, I guess, property crimes and those type of things related to that, or does that seem to have stayed constant? I think it's been constant. I think that the the bigger issue for us with crime and what's going on now is like um, our pursuit policies are so uh, restrictive, which I understand why they have to be because of the danger to the public. Um, I think the bad guys kind of figured that out and we're more or less, we're less likely to pursue stolen cars that are doing property crimes. And I think that's how a bigger impact on us. Um, the other thing is uh, I think marijuana the black market there where we've had like large crimes where <clears throat> where there is cash and dope you're going to have crime sure right you're have certain things that happen i think that that is like a big problem because the marijuana business is a very cash based business and so i think large amounts of cash large amounts of dope and the opportunity to do drug rips and things like that i think that's where we've seen some of those things and that is kind of what, well, not kind of, that's exactly what it was, that homicide investigation that I was part of. Um, and, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. So the day-to-day, -day, mm, I think it's hard to say because I think for over the course, if I was just looking back over the last 10 years, I think it's been pretty consistent. We're not seeing huge spikes. We're like, oh, my gosh, this is um Right, right. But now we're in COVID, <laughs> and so how we're doing things is even changing within our agency. Like, what calls do we respond to? What calls right. do we have personal contact with? Um, you know, and even for a while there, we were only handling party one, two, and three calls for a short period of time just because we wanted to make sure everything was in place to keep the deputies safe. Um, yeah, and we did similar. It was, um, you know, 
obviously not very proactive. You weren't stopping a lot of traffic. You weren't right. doing those type of things. But yeah, I mean, you have family violence or that type of thing. You were headed to that. Sure. So, but it sounds, I mean, very much what, what most people uh, think. And that is it, it doesn't stop the illegal activity when, whenever you have uh, drugs, whenever you have money, it doesn't go away. And, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure as far as uh, the theory they said, if if it was nationwide, if people didn't have to travel for it, I think I think the illegal part would be there. They just wouldn't be heading to Colorado to, to do that. So. Sure. And I think that's the other part is like, I will tell you where I stood on it before we legalized. I was like, no. And having lived through it, you know, it hasn't changed the day-to-day lives because people quite frankly in Colorado smoke pot before we legalize sure right yeah it's it's there that's nice and they would I think a lot of the people here and speaking with people because people are very open about it now like you know back in the day when you'd stop a car and you'd be like what does that smell and like oh nothing and then now it's like you know I got this I got that whatever okay but what I think (laughs) what I think has changed for us is had we known how it would turn out now and like it's not like I think people think that as soon as you get off the plane at DIA, there's just like weed flying at you from every possible place. Well, no, it's very controlled by the state. I mean, like it's, you know, the legal part of it's very controlled, but there's this premium of taxes you have to pay for it. I've never smoked dope in my life. I I got bad lungs to begin with for asthma. But one of the things I think is interesting is a lot of the people who still smoke marijuana in Colorado that live here, I think they still go to the black market dealer. The cheaper? Cheaper, and they don't right. want to pay the tax on it. So, I mean, it's more prolific. Um, but that, and I think the other thing is a lot of people, because they're so healthy in Colorado, um, they use a lot of edibles, which we had a, for a little while before the market really got paid attention. You know, kids were getting into the edibles and things like that. So those were some of the things that had to be learned really quickly on the fly to adjust to that. Now, you know, the packaging is different. People are much more careful. Yeah. So to get into um, the next phase, we have, um, you talked about the stress in your job and uh, you got into stand-up comedy to start dealing with the stresses of police work. Um, And I've seen a couple of your things. We're going to show a couple of your things. We go on. But so how did that happen? I mean, it was just, I mean, were you class clown growing up? Were you, everybody's like, hey, you're funny. You need to get on the stage. What's, how did this transition to to stand up? So I've always been a big fan of stand up comedy. Um, Truly, I got into stand up as a result of me not listening to the senior officers and mainly some of the really vet including the boss, the number one, the sheriff, when uh, he came into our agency. I was, just to give the cops that are listening, this is the person that I was. I, I worked every single possible off-duty that I could. Um, I was at the agency nonstop. Like, you know, I was like, if my shift ended at 6 o'clock in the morning, I was stopping at 5.30 in the morning DUI. Um, you know, no blinders, just constantly go, go, go. And some of the senior people would tell me, you know, slow down, kid. You need to, like, temper this because you can't burn both candles, burn the candle at both ends. And I was like, what do you know? I'm the go-to. This is what I do. Well, you know, there's a cost to be paid for doing this job and not separating yourself. And my sole identity, I believe, well, truthfully, was just, you know, being a cop. I was so excited to be a cop that I was just doing that all the time. I was foregoing things outside, spending time with family, spending time with relationships. And... 
after a while, you have a chalice that just fills up, and you're taking in all this damage from the things that you see, things that you hear, smell, taste. And then I hit a wall in 2008. I dabbled in comedy in 2007, thinking, well, maybe this is something for me. And then after I lost a kid um, that was 17 years old in a canyon, um, tried saving this kid's life, CPR, the whole nine, nine yards, and then I was just overtaken by emotion. It was taboo when I was coming up in law enforcement. At least my perspective was to talk about your feelings. You know, your partners would ask you, good? Yeah, you, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. You know, nobody really wants to talk about the hardcore stuff, and I think that's because we want to be perceived as very strong people. And we are, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about the things that are truly bothering us. So eventually it led into comedy, and I started doing stand-up. I started doing a two-minute bit here and working the, the rooms and uh, trying to find my way. And it was my outlet that started showing Vinnie Montez who I am, really, and not just the cop. And uh, shortly thereafter, a bunch of my friends end up having major medical issues, which I personally believe is a result of part of this job, where they needed like a liver transplant or a heart transplant. And I did some fundraisers to help raise money to support them. And that was giving me more stage time, which I didn't realize was helping me grow as a comedian. And then here we go, 13 years later, uh, from 2007 to today, and it's kind of like unbelievable I, so i get to share my world of comedy which is based on my life as a cop and the things that i've seen and done and been part of and to be able to share those stories although more in a comedic style um has been a real blessing and, and it's gone over really well i'll tell you my show is definitely different for the average audience where i'm performing for the general public versus if i'm performing for a law enforcement only crowd because I tend to get a little more dark and edgy about the things that we can understand. Right, the, the dark humor that, that happens in the in the patrol offices and the homicide offices and the or the, even on scene, you know, on, on scene, right? Yeah. yeah, and and the general public, as we know, would not understand some of the things you say. It's that release of stress, and and you're right. Many years ago, uh, you didn't talk about it. It's become, and I wouldn't even say it's probably what maybe three years, four years. That's really that's really come around that uh, police are talking about the stress involved and uh, now they actually are relating uh, uh, PTSD similar to theirs. I mean, the, the whole idea behind PTSD is a continued stress over and over and over uh, that uh, is not resolved. And obviously in police work and in the military, those, those things happen. There's this uh, heightened um, awareness that you're in that cop car all day long and those type of things. You know, now, I'm a big fan of stand-up, have been for a long time, so I have a couple of, of stand-up questions for you here. So so who is who is the first comedian that you ever saw in stand-up? Uh, Do you remember that one? I, I don't remember who the first one was. I think it was like probably on... Oh, man, that's a hard one. I, I really can't remember. I, I just I remember flipping through the channels and seeing people performing, and I didn't know who they were, but... Uh, the first, the first live one I remember. Let's tell you how how long ago it was. So and I don't even know how old I was. I know I had to like be uh, six, seven. It was one of those uh, um, uh, dinner dinner theater things, right? It was yeah. Mil Milton Berle. Oh wow, that was a long time ago. Yeah, long long time ago, right? And then yeah. the next comedian I remember. I mean, I I saw I had record stuff, you know, uh, Steve Martin, Bill Cosby, that type of thing. But yeah. the the next one I I remember hearing perform uh, was George Carlin. 
and wow. we were we were probably about like 10 years old i was over at my cousin's house and my parents were watching carlin now of course we weren't going to be able to watch carlin right so right. we're we're in the hallway and we hear this show going on and we're laughing we're just falling out and obviously they hear us y'all get back to your room you know but uh no those those are some amazing people and and obviously in touring so um you've gotten to meet some people along the way in your career oh, yeah amazing people um you know, I've I've been I've shared the stage with Joe Rogan, Michelle Wolf, um, you know, and the list goes on and on. Chris D'Elia, um, Bob Marley, uh, not the singer Bob Marley, but the comedian right. Bob Marley, um, <clears throat> Louis Anderson, and I mean, it, it just goes on. John Chris, there's just a ton of people. Recently, Chelsea Lynn or AKA Trailer Trash Tammy, and on and on. And I, I've just been really blessed. Um, Caroline Ray, I, I mean just crazy amounts of people who are really awesome comedians and um i've taken a lot from them over the course of the time that i've been able to do this so now did um did you used to go to many comedy clubs was it, it just following comedy more on tv and i remember a and e used to have the improv on there and um yeah but, bud bud freeman Is yeah right yeah, right freeman. yeah i used to watch that now that you bring that up that was probably some of my earlier influences of watching the improv on tv um and I, I, you know, I remember watching that, being like, you know, I could, I wonder if I could do that, or I could probably do that. And then coming up, how I came up is I, there's a great comedy club in Denver, known as Comedy Works. They gave me my start, and I had to sign up for t- ten weeks in order to get a two minute spot. And I kept signing up, kept signing up, and if you didn't call in every week, then you went to the bottom of the list. And I showed up. I had some very simple jokes. They only gave me two minutes. And I went up there and did that. I still have the recording of that. And I look, I listen to back to it every now and then. I'm like, wow, what was I even thinking? <laughs> and um, I started building on it. There was a guy who passed away not too long ago who was my mentor in the comedy world business, Deacon Gray. And he would give us notes. And he said, you know, you're doing all right. Let's have you come back. And we'll give you three minutes every time you perform. And it slowly started building up. And then we, as some of the people that were coming up in the Denver comedy scene, we go to all these open, mic, open mics, the Squires Lounge, Kinga's, all these places that were kind of like dive bars that had an open mic. And you had to really cut your teeth because nobody wanted to hear what you had to say. And the people you were performing for were just other comics. Right, and right. So it really taught me to learn to build up that skin of, you know, not caring and just putting it out there. Um, and then slowly when those things start happening, where I got created more stage time, um, it, it really built me into today. And like I did a show for a uh, officer um, who was uh, medically having a lot of issues right before COVID started in Philadelphia area. And I had a drunk guy that was like right up front. There's probably 400 people in this audience. It was packed crowd. It was, I was slaughtering, man. I was just killing. And this dude, every time I'd set up a junk joke, he'd throw his own punchline in because he was oh. that guy. and had I not grown up in the environment that I grew up in doing stand-up comedy, I was just able to go right over the top. He didn't phase me one bit. And the only person that was really hearing me or hearing him was me and a few of the people that were up front, including his wife or significant other, who was just like, why is this man with me? Why am I even here with him? But you know what? It's just like being a cop. I equate it to being a cop because, you know, if you've ever stood outside of a bar in the late hours and bar closing, you got all these people that are coming out of bars and you're standing there, and you got the one young cop who happens to have some guy come out and be like, "Hey, pig!" And you know, right. and that cop's like, "Oh, what? Who me?" You know, and, and you gotta be like, 
Simmer down, bro. Yeah. Nothing good is going to come from you going over there except for a really good YouTube clip in the in the nightly news. You know what I mean? So comedy has a lot of parallels to police work. And um, I'll tell you what, man. It's just been an honor to be able to do um, what I've been able to do, Dan. And uh, it, I'm just tickled that every time I get a chance to be on stage, I don't pass it up. I'll take it. Millennial cops are entering the police force. <laughs> I'm gonna say it one more time. Millennial cops are entering the police force. We were reading reports one night. It was a DUI report, and it was nothing but emojis. So, like, what is this? The younger officer's like, what are you talking about, Sarge? Drunk emoji, drunk emoji, get to the jail, poop emoji, poop emoji. <laughs> well, I guess it's okay then. So how far have you traveled? What's the furthest place you've gone to do some comedy? Uh, I have been Orlando, Florida, Florida, Washington, like up in Seattle, uh, Minneapolis, Rochester, Minnesota, uh, Kansas. I've been everywhere. So I think I've been on both coasts. Um, it really exploded for me in the last year and a half. And then this little thing called COVID came along and put the price right. on it. So. Yeah, so we're, well, it slowed down a lot. Slowed down yeah. uh, all comedians. I mean, uh, yeah, everybody, it, not just me. The no. Whole you know, if we get a chance, a lot of the comedians I know, if we get a chance to get COVID in a room one-on-one, -on -one, <laughs> there's going to be slow singing with the flower bringing yeah, many comedians have been learning Zoom, so it's uh, been out all things there. But uh, Yeah, I did a show on Zoom, and I'll tell you what, it was nothing like being in the crowd with regular people. No, well, you, you talk to me as in that that energy that you receive yeah. uh, from the crowd being there and just feeding off of that. I mean, even some of the regular shows that I watch of, of comedians and stuff, when when you don't when they're performing in front of a live audience, right? And you oh, can yeah. and you can tell you can tell the difference of how they're reacting and performing and stuff when they don't have that feedback. Well, it's just like when you're interviewing somebody, right? You got them in the room. You know, you start a little bit further away from them. By the time the interview's over, with you're close up to them. You're reading the cadence and the way, like you know. So were you there last night? Well, no, I wasn't there last night. Versus, were you there last night? Well, no, I wasn't there last night. Okay, well, we have that big open void space right there, and we're like, right. okay, so it's it's reading the crowd, understanding the cadence and the dynamic, you know. Absolutely, like I can't wait. Like I'm probably gonna hug and kiss every single person that I perform in front of the next time I get that chance, because hopefully it'll be once there's a vaccine or something. But man, I I can't wait to be in front of a live crowd. But now, right now, if people want to see your show, you have uh, a full special on dry bar comedy yes it's clean it's good for the family nobody will be offended all right mom and dad just so you know i learned a hard lesson recently fellas pay attention one more time fellas take note so it's the middle of the night let me paint you the picture it's three o'clock in the morning i get up to go to the bathroom I handle my business. I don't turn on a single light because I am a professional. <laughs> I'm on my way back to bed and from downstairs I hear crash kaboom. So I stop and I listen. 
because there is criminal activity afoot. <laughs> and from the bed, I hear, babe, babe, did you hear that? Did you hear that? To which I replied, And about 10 seconds of silence went by. And then I heard, did you just shush me? <laughs> in this house. You don't shush me in this house. But I couldn't see her face, but in my mind, that's what she was doing. And I'm like, you want to have an argument right now? I'm thinking I might have to kill somebody. So I got tired of it. I walked down the stairs. I was looking for the burglar. Because if I would have found him, I'd have been like, sir, upstairs, first door on your left. <laughs> Things haven't been the same since. Uh... My goodness, you guys are an awesome crowd. Uh, I don't take myself too seriously because I don't think you can. I got into comedy because uh, I wanted to protect my mental health. We see a lot of things and I can share and twist them with you. Uh, and it's important to me to keep that mental health strong. And I don't wanna to wanna to be one of those jaded cops at the end of a 20 or 30 year career. But the best example of this is I love it when people are quick witted. We had a fight at one of the colleges I showed up, I get out of my car, there's these two young guys standing on the corner. So I said, hey bro, did you guys see the fight over here? Young guy's like, dude, totally saw what happened, bro. Totally saw what happened, okay? <laughs> I'm like, okay, you overachiever. <laughs> Could you write me a written statement? He's like, no. I can send you a text message? <laughs> So I don't want to get into it with this kid. So I give him my phone number, and 20 minutes later, he sends me a text message. Hey, Popo. <laughs> I ain't no rap, Popo. <laughs> That's not the bad part. On busy nights when I'm working, this kid still sends me random text messages. <laughs> Hey, Popo, <laughs> we're about to leave the bar. Where are you guys at right now? <laughs> 30 minutes later, hey, Popo, we made it home, but we're out of food. Can you make a pizza run? <laughs> yeah, so that, um, so you can go to drybarcomedy.com. Um, and I, I downloaded the app. I watched uh, your show. There's many other comedians on there, but it also allows you to cast. So if you got a Chromecast or anything, you can throw it up for the whole family to watch. Uh, you have uh, a special there. And also I know that uh, you have on your website, if anybody wants to contact you, uh, at the bottom on how to, how to book you and, uh, and obviously when COVID's over, right? But, uh, 
but uh, at uh, vinnymontez.com and you just click on on book and uh, put the information in there and, and what they're looking for from you and stuff and uh, you also have uh, a couple of videos and photos and other things on your website and such so after covid right so yeah. so how i guess uh, what what uh what shows got canceled where are you heading you got you have an oh. agenda when it's over or yeah, oh, well, all the shows that have pushed, I guess that's the word. So the last show that I did was the one in Philadelphia with the crazy guy that was yelling out punchlines for me up front, which, poor guy, I'm sure he felt bad the next day. But that, the last show I was supposed to do was in San Diego on March 14th for the San Diego Police Officer Deputy Sheriff Association, which was like going to be a huge crowd. I mean, they, they spent a lot of money on this event, and, man, I had to cancel last minute, but they canceled on me like I canceled on them because – you know, they were right at that point in time, everything was shutting down on that Friday the 13th. And uh, April was supposed to be a bunch of other shows. And then uh, we had the Tammy and the gang with me, Officer Daniels, Libby Higgins, Chelsea. We had like eight sold out shows between in this like one week run between Nashville, Huntsville, Raleigh, North Carolina, Virginia Beach. That all got pushed. Um, tons of other shows got pushed. I was supposed to be in Omaha, Nebraska and uh, all kinds of stuff, blue line ball. So all that has been pushed. So everything in March, the end of March got pushed. Everything in April got pushed, May, June. And now we're just, we thought we were going to be able to do shows in July, but of course that's getting pushed. And now all that's been moved back to September. At this point, I'm kind of convinced that we're probably not going to be into comedy until sometime in 2033. <laughs> but I'm optimistic to see how it turns out. Um, I have on my website that we're in a COVID watch until we have, I have a bunch of stuff booked for the end of the year, but I'm just not confident yet that we're going to be there. I'm just uh, hopeful that everybody stays healthy and, you know, I stay healthy. And then hopefully once we open this back up, I just can't wait to start doing live shows. So I'm going to just be hopeful and keep my fingers crossed. Well, Vinny, on, uh, on our announcement on our website, Crime Scene Today, we have links to your videos. We have links to your Facebook, to your Twitter, uh, to your website. And hopefully at some point you'll make it to Houston. Uh, if you make it to Dallas, I'll even drive to Dallas, but, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not driving to El Paso. That's, that's a good 10 hours away. That's All like right. two well, states. Um, there's a guy by the name of Chuck Andrews, friends of Chuck. We're, um, we're going to produce a show there in Houston and, um, we're going to do it. So I'm excited. I've been to Houston a couple times now. Um, y'all got a lot of tollways there. I just want to tell you right now, you got a lot of tollways, uh, and you got a lot of highways. But I'm going to come to Houston again, and I'm going to do a show. I'd love to do it for a lot of law enforcement personnel down there. I think when this is all said and done, I think the law enforcement community out of a lot of communities is going to need a little bit of laughter, and I'm going to bring it to them. And I, I promise you, Houston, Texas, Vinny Montez come down from Colorado. Y'all better be ready. You better have your taco trucks in line. You better have everybody ready to go because I'm bringing the heat, baby. We are going to rock. I don't care how many shows we got to do. I'm going to bring the heat, and it's going to be like – right there we're gonna have a great time so, so you act like those trucks ever move no they, they stay there man that's that that's they're, they're always there that's uh that's i mean we don't have to line anything up they, they're just always on the street huh? so all good food and certainly you come down you let me know and and we'll we'll definitely come and, and check out your show we'd love to meet up with you uh just thank you for everything you do that's as i told you before we talked uh you go out and relieve stress by actually doing stand up uh i 
watch stand up to relieve stress so it's yeah. it's because of people like you that uh that help my job and my stress relief from from what uh, we do on a regular basis and so i thank you for the viral video that you put out uh that many of us were thinking i thank you for what you do uh, on a regular basis uh just for uh, your community and for the officers out there and and speaking uh, and taking our stories uh, that are through you and, and putting them out there to to bring humor in what we do. So thank you, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Vinny. And, and any time in the future, uh, if uh, you'd like to come back, any conversation you'd like to have, then certainly uh, reach out. We'd love to have you back. Uh, if you like to see any guests on our show or any topics you like covered, you can reach out to me, Dan at CrimeScenetoday.com, and we'll see you next week.